addressing the last conversations about telemedicine, <clears throat> this whole crisis is going to uh, show us technology that is going to benefit our practices. I've done, you know, teleconsults for a long time. I see a lot of out-of-town patients and done a, a fair bit of Skype and, and FaceTime. But the Zoom platform that we're on right now has, has been a game changer. And I think it's easier uh, for patients to use. And, um, you know, we have been using it a lot for follow-ups, uh, you know, consults, uh, just people checking in and addressing Joel's situation. Yeah, there's some people that aren't too computer savvy and they're having a hard time with it. But what, we're, what we've done to make it easier is put together <laughs> really succinct instructions and even about lighting and background and everything. And, and then I'll have my staff get the patient on before I actually uh, come on. So, so that's done. But, you know, there'll be a learning curve, but this is going to be uh, usable. And I think that we're all going to see, you know, probably everybody, we all see patients that we don't need to see, you know, do you really need to see that one week follow up? Or if you do, do you need to see them, you know, at two weeks? And um, uh, so we're trimming a lot of fat right now. And I think a lot of this stuff is going to uh, maintain as a standard of practice. The other thing that is kind of a, a challenge for us in our practice is that we do clinical research trials. And so it's been a tough question as to whether those are considered uh, emergent or appropriate to see because uh, these are drugs that uh, are in development and have you know uh, millions and millions of dollars worth of money behind them and whether that is somebody that we should be seeing or not, and whether we can. Uh, so we've, we've been very careful. We've uh, uh, chosen to not see some of those patients where, the, where they can be put off or where we can do it via telemed. And some of them where we do have to collect lab work, we were struggling with the, uh, with the interaction because it does involve a close interaction to draw blood or get an EKG. So we're working with each clinical trial on each study to determine whether we are go forward or not go forward. But, you know, there's, there's just, a, there are many facets of this that are going to be both short-term and long-term. And if you can imagine that just on one level, we're doing clinical research trials in dermatology, but think about the patients who are coming in for, you know, trials of drugs that potentially could be uh, used for COVID and whether they're going to be taking the risk to come into a medical environment, whether people are going to be exposing themselves to that risk themselves when they're working with those patients. It's just a, a, a very, uh, you know, a mind-boggling uh, dynamic right now. So we, do, we do a number of clinical trials as well. And, and as of last week, we had really the policy, if this was a safety visit and this was a drug that was up for approval, that we would try to see those patients. Now things are changed and we're not allowed to, to leave home. So this whole equation we're trying to figure out. And similarly, we're working with the companies, but it seems that most of the companies are allowing us or going to allow us to actually do these virtual visits in a webinar like this, where we can look at them and make sure that, for instance, they don't have ptosis or, you know, if they have any other concerns, we can try to evaluate that and go from there. In terms of the photos, they're really working with some of the different apps right now to try to make as standardized photos and as mirrored as possible so that we can sort of recapitulate the stance that they were in when they took the baseline photos. And it's unfortunate, but this is, this is all evolving and we have a lot to learn about these clinical trials and what we can do at this point. Can I ask a question to the, to the group here? And that would be, uh, how are each of you uh, dealing with your patient basis? So today is the first day that, that we're closed. So I'm going to do a, 
an email blast to our entire patient base and let them know that uh, that we're closed because uh, everything is elective and let them know that they can communicate with, with me directly uh, with the office, let them know our proposed date of uh, rescheduling and everything. And uh, so I'm just going to do that with a, a generalized blast and of course a blog and web page and Facebook and everything else. How are, how are you all continuing to uh, communicate with your patient base? So we uh, sent out a note on last Thursday. Are we technically closed down as of last uh, Wednesday night at five o'clock? Um, and we sent a note uh, last, last Thursday saying that we were closed other than two emergencies. Uh, we essentially rescheduled everybody's appointment that we could to telemedicine. And most people are, are reluctant to I do visits if they if they don't know whether it will be paid and telemedicine has been a, a big question for most of the payers and the other question is whether they will be paid on a reasonable rate. So many people that would have been pay, uh, had, would have had a deductible that would have been uh, you know ten thousand dollars or whatever are are not excited about. Uh, paying whatever the cost of an, an office visit is at this time. So many of them are canceling out until they know where, where this shakes out. So it's been an interesting thing. I've sent notes to my patients twice. So I've uh, sent two updates, one a week ago, Monday, one uh, uh, this past Monday. So about once a week, just to tell them what the state of the clinic, state of the practice, state of our lives are, and any advice that I might have for them. And they've been very, very well received, I have to tell you. And I think that people are looking for some direction at this time. So uh, my advice to those doctors, uh, whether you're cosmetic or non-cosmetic, is uh, use embrace this as a time to reach out to your, your patients. And even though you're not uh, able to make uh, them feel better uh, with your surgical or medical skills, your uh, skills as a physician and as a practitioner may be needed even more so now than ever before. So I will point out that there are some pending questions about telemedicine that many people are just sort of getting started with this, but there historically needs to be an actual consent from the patient for telemedicine. These are difficult times. Some of these things are being waived by different insurance carriers. Um, there's still a question of copay. And there's obviously different capabilities that people have as patients of various ages to engage this from a video call. Um, and historically, the rules are that the physician needs to be able to see the patient, not only talk to the patient, but see the patient. But if the physician is not able to be seen by them, that's okay because you're actually part of the diagnosis when you're seeing them. Um, the time of appointment is something that Oftentimes people are scheduling themselves or they're having staff that are able to do that schedule for them. But typical to real life scenarios, sometimes people may run behind and some systems actually time out at 10 minutes, um, which is really a problem at this point. And then you have to re-engage and send a new um, link to the patient to actually initiate another visit. There's some discussion about some of the codes that are being used right now. And some people have had some advice as far as not finalizing codes in case they need a specific modifier at this point. And then I was told last night by our CFO that CMS is actually requiring that you as a physician have your home address on file with them if that's where these telemedicine visits are being done from. 
So that can actually get taken care of as well. It sounds like a, a lot of uh, paperwork and a labyrinth of paperwork, but um, I think we're going to probably hear more from um, the American Academy of Dermatology and some of the other societies as far as streamlining this and making it easier. Do you guys have any other issues or experience that you've, you've been hearing about this? Well, I know that um, the HHS, uh, the Department of Health Services, has relaxed the enforcement of HIPAA, uh, the HIPAA laws uh, surrounding telemedicine, as well as FaceTiming and the things that would normally be considered unsecure. They're saying, look, do what you've got to do to take care of your people. You know, obviously you'd want to be more, more stringent in a non-emergent situation just because you want to protect the patient's information, but um, th those will go away. But I think um, being, a, a, you know, primarily elective um, practice as well, I don't have to deal with the coding or the, the other issues. But I, I do think that this is a game changer and that um, a lot more of what we do going forward, I think is going to be done virtually and including meetings where, you know, we're all dealing with meetings that have to be canceled. And, um, you know, I think in an ideal world, we would probably, reach more people if we could do things virtually and, and as both as practitioners as well as organizations putting on educational events I think this is going to become um, a platform that people are very comfortable with. Um, one thing that I ran into with my malpractice insurance um, when I spoke to them about virtual consults is that they did say that it only covers seeing patients in the state of Tennessee because I'm only licensed to practice in the state of Tennessee. Of course I'm also practiced Licensed to practice in California still, since I would practice, you know, sell my license from there. But I don't have malpractice insurance that covers the state of California anymore. So that's the one thing that you, if you are practicing um, medicine on a patient in another state, and they haven't come to see you yet, you might want to just double check with your malpractice insurance carrier. Right. We checked with ours, and there was a great deal of uh, double speak when it came down to it. It was maybe kind of, sort of, and we're not really sure. And the question is, where is this visit occurring? So if, if you are technically billing it from uh, the state of Tennessee, it, it's unclear. I think that malpractice uh, carriers really uh, need to step up in this situation. And hopefully, uh, knowing that we have people that are like yourself, I. Maryland that are uh, in, in a position maybe to uh, work with insurance carriers and, and academies to uh, force them to, to do the right thing, which is make it right for the patient. Because, you know, for example, we have patients in, in my state, Nebraska, who are snowbirds and they're in Arizona right now and they want to have telemedicine and they may have zoster, as uh, Joel Cohen uh, said, and we can take care of them, but not if we don't have malpractice insurance for Arizona because they happen to be in Arizona. But there are patients we have a, a, you know, an experience with them. So again, there's so much that we need to have done and uh, just the minor things that, for example, Joel uh, Cohen mentioned about the ability to do a pregnancy test uh, uh, with the patient doing it at home rather than having them making them come out of their house to go to an emergency room or hospital that is overstaffed to can be able to continue their Accutane. Again, so many, so many facets of this that we need to uh, figure out. I just want to go back to some of the discussion that, that we um, indicated we were going to sort of 
go to for from a financial standpoint. So from a business interruption insurance perspective, we were told specifically that unless there's physical damage to one of our facilities, we're not eligible for that. So I think I would encourage everybody to look if you have business interruption insurance and what your policy says. And from what I've heard from people so far, um, a pandemic is not something that's covered. And it actually says specifically that in the policy. Um, so obviously these insurance people knew what they were writing a long time ago. Um, and in terms of, you know, some of the other things that may be very practical for various types of offices, whether they're medical or cosmetic, is that there are several companies that are agreeing to delay um, the invoices for us right now, or at least, at least give us a time frame before we pay. So if, if certain things have not hit your credit card yet, and they're from Allergan or Galderma, I believe it is 60 days at this point. Um, and in terms of other things to consider, I'm told that several of the credit card companies right now will, will allow you at least a 30 day grace period before paying your bill. So if, it, if you typically have a month to pay it, if you call ahead of time, um, you can actually ask if you can delay that for a month. Um, and make sure to very specifically pinpoint that you still want the card to be active. I heard from a friend in New York that somehow that actually shut off the card. Um, so you want to actually ask all these things. Does anybody else have any helpful uh, pieces of information from credit card, insurance, or the way things are done with some of our invoices from some of the cosmetic companies or other companies? Well, basically, yes. Basically, everything, the, every bill that you come in that comes into your practice, you need to forensically look at and contact the company. Every contract going forward, we looked at that included advertising, that included billboards, that included everything. And we've reached out to almost every vendor to explain that they're going to need to renegotiate during this part of uh, the, during this time. So. For example, we had uh, uh, an ongoing relationship with an advertiser for uh, some cosmetic uh, uh, marketing. I won't say the name, but we reached out to them and said, we, we're not seeing cosmetic patients. We need you to put this on hiatus. And they were extraordinarily kind. They said they would. And uh, so that was easy enough. Um, and that has to be looked at for every single thing. So we had cleaning uh, that was being done in the office. We contacted our cleaner. We said, we're only using one room in the office right now because we, we don't have patients. Can you adjust the bill? It took a little bit of work, but we got that taken care of. Every aspect needs to be renegotiated or else you're not doing your job as, a, as an employer and uh, you really need to get, get on that immediately. You know, um, so a lot of this discussion obviously is humanitarian and about doing the right thing and helping people and getting our country through this situation. But everybody on this screen is running a business. And, uh, uh, you know, the, the whole situation about this bouncing back. So you mentioned your marketing. And uh, I do a good bit of, of, of marketing locally, print, TV. And I, and I called my marketing person. I said, look, I think we you know, need to stop this. And she said, there's more people watching TV and reading the newspaper right now than, you know, ever. And uh, I would suggest that you, you know, don't stop it altogether. And, you know, I, I think she had a point there. I think when, uh, hopefully, when this all settles down, you know, people are going to settle back in. 
one of the things that uh, I used to have a roommate in school who called all his old girlfriends all the time. He said, never let the trail go cold. Okay. And, and that was good. That was good business advice. Right. So, you know, we have all these patients out here and we, we do want them to uh, uh, remember us. And, you know, it, uh, you don't want to let that trail go cold. So we have to find ways to keep in touch with our base. We talked about that a little bit. And, you know, quite honestly, um, and just like everybody on this call, I'm getting all these requests for articles and podcasts and everything. But I think it's about time to change the discussion a little bit. You know, everybody's just so uh, fatigued with the coronavirus. And, you know, another thing I wonder from a business standpoint, so when this snaps back, are you going to see a lot of people discounting their injectables? Are you, you know, uh, that you're going to have, we're going to be dealing with people who have been unemployed for a while, as we have. And um, it, it opens up a lot of interesting questions there. I don't know if anybody has any comment on that. Well, I just have one more comment as far as vendors go. I know Allergan has also offered to replace any product that expires during this time for free, which I think is wonderful. And I think um, the more we reach out to some of these people, I, you'd be surprised how generous they really are um, and how forgiving they are. They, of course, they, they understand that we're their key business. And if we all collapse, then you know, they're going to not do as well. So um, it never hurts to ask and to be bold about it. Um, as far as discounting things, you know, just kind of also back to how we're interacting with patients during this time, one thing we have offered is 25% uh, off gift certificates, basically. So people can purchase them now before, right now we're saying April 10th, um, and they have to be used before the end of the year or else they go back to whatever the 25% off value is, you know, the, the value they paid. So that's one way that we are um, engaging with people as well as um, trying to get some income flow while we're, while we're down and keep people loyal to us. Um, um, I think we probably will see a lot of med spas close that maybe don't have as much reserve or depth of um, practice and experience. So, um, so I think, you know, as, as we need to wrap up here, I think that the gift certificates and some of the other initiatives that we do in terms of marketing, we have to really, really sort of vet this with some of our colleagues and our friends, because I don't think anybody wants to come off that they're taking advantage of this situation. However, you know, from a standpoint of a business owner, you know, we, we really need to think about the bottom line and we need to think about over the next few months. And I think that that should be the subject of another podcast and another call where we talk about sort of as we plan to reopen, how do we prioritize um, the patients from a medical perspective? We have concerning skin cancers that would, may need to actually go before somebody on the schedule for a certain day. And as we prioritize some of the other things uh, that we have on our radar from an aesthetic standpoint, somebody who may have blocked out you know, a couple of weeks for me to do some heavy resurfacing on them and the healing process. And that was the one time frame that worked for them because they had their daughter's wedding coming up, you know, four or five months later. I think there's a lot to talk about in terms of the way that we plan this. And I applaud practical dermatology for really putting this together as part one of an intended series to really help all of us out there who are business owners, who are on the front lines, um, seeing patients in general. And then I really, uh, my hat, which I'm wearing now, goes off to all the people who are on the front lines and the first responders and in the emergency room. And we all have friends and colleagues from medical school and residency and 
everywhere that we work that are that are seeing these patients firsthand. And some subspecialties are actually being called to um, to help out as well. So I know that the entire Harvard Department of Dermatology was called to administer tests as, as physicians to administer tests at Mass General Hospital as well. So I think we're seeing a, a, this whole process sort of evolve. And I would say one last thing, which is, uh, you know, remember this too shall pass. We are going to get past this. We're going to be probably stronger for it. And you know, the the amount of uh, work and and effort that we put in right now will be incredible compared to the benefit. But down the road, I think it will uh, yield uh, some improvements. And uh, keep in touch with your your staff. Keep in touch with your friends. Let's let's pull together on this and uh, you know be strengthened in our solidarity. Joel, I'm sure there's a big stack of journals on your desk behind you. You can catch up and read those. Uh, I'm working on a third edition of my textbook. Mary, maybe I can get a sub-chapter out of you. Um, uh, you know, we can, uh, all of us are busy, and, and probably all of us, I just got, I lost a lot of money in plane tickets for uh, upcoming meetings and situations like that. But uh, we have to use this time to, uh, um, you know, keep our personal and our professional life uh, on keel and catch up for some things that we haven't uh, been able to do. It's been a pleasure uh, dealing with all of you today. Joe, I think you said that so nicely because I think we're all sort of cleaning the deck of everything that we have. I turned around a third edition chapter very quickly for Zoe Dralos's textbook with uh, one of the residents that I work with at University of California, Irvine, and a number of other initiatives. We're looking at margin analysis, but our turnaround time for papers and chapters and reviews right now uh, just got much quicker. So thank you everybody very much for being a part of this call and thank you Practical Durham for putting this together. Thank you.